Good morning, friends. Um, so awesome to be together this morning. Glad you're here. Found your way to uh, Terwilliger Community Church this morning, first Sunday in May. And uh, feeling a little overwhelmed is, is true. Uh, the privilege that we have to worship the Lord here in the, the beauty of holiness. And you think of others in other lands, such as Nepal today, that uh, the country is fractured and it must be very, very difficult for even for the Christians to gather together in places of worship today, and so we remember them. Thank you for taking the mini-survey. If you didn't have a chance to put it into the offering plate, you can certainly do it when the benevolent offering come by, comes by after the communion time. We are going to receive a special offering this morning uh, for Nepal, and uh, the, the efforts that are being made there, especially by Samaritan's Purse. So. Uh, feel free just to drop that mini-survey into the benevolent offering a little bit uh, later on. Uh, we're thinking about the theme of being unstuck and uh, recognizing that there are a whole bunch of spots in life where we can get stuck with our health. Mark's mom is kind of stuck right now. Seven weeks, nearly eight weeks in hospital, getting better, but what you and I take for granted in just being able to walk from A to B, even a few steps, we just do it. We just don't even think about that anymore. But when you lose your mobility, then you're stuck. Then you feel like that is the biggest job in the world just to get 10 steps down the way. Uh, we, get we get stuck with our schedules. We get stuck with our work. We get stuck in our careers and with our finances and with our dreams and with our relationships. And you know, churches can get stuck in our ministries when we forget the vision of the church, when we forget the mission of the church, when we forget that lost people really matter to God. We kind of get stuck just kind of doing the same things over and over again. This morning, I want you to come uh, with me to a famous valley located uh, but somewhere between Tel Aviv, modern Tel Aviv, and Jerusalem. And we're in 1 Samuel 17. It's probably the most familiar passage in all of Scripture, if not the most familiar, then obviously pretty close. I'm not going to read the passage because it's so long, but I hope you ha if you have your Bible with you that you'll open it up and, and follow with me, because I'm going to walk through these verses in 1 Samuel 17. Or if you've got an electronic device, just open it up to 1 Samuel 17 and kind of watch as these verses unfold, because I think they're powerful in sequence. It's a story known around the world. It has been embedded in the culture and language of the nations. It's not unusual to hear a news commentator refer to a particular situation as a David and Goliath scenario. And we instantly know what he means. That David is up against Goliath in, in the corporate world. It simply says that we know that Goliath is the big powerful guy and David's the kid. He's the young guy. He's the seemingly weak guy in the story. Honestly, it's been years since I have looked at this text in terms of a message. Uh, sometimes because the 
the passage is so familiar, you just tend to say, well, everybody knows that story, and if everybody knows that story, what have I got to add to it? And, and you kind of shy away from it. But, uh, but let's go back to it this morning. And because our time is short this morning, I guess we just have to go for the juggler. Uh, there, there's, you, you could spend weeks on this passage, but let's just kind of get right to the crux of it. Where do we get stuck? How about the Goliaths that face us every day? The giants in our lives. Probably we all have some giants in our lives. They come in the form of a person. They come in the form of a pressure. They come in the form of worry and fear and pain. They come in the form of financial struggle. They come in the form of, oh, this is an impossible challenge. I see a challenge that has been set before us, but it looks impossible. I don't know if I can do it. It's a giant. And those giants call across the valley, and they make us very uneasy. They intimidate us. How do you face the giants in life at work, at home, in everyday living? So let's think about this from the position of being stuck and then unstuck. First of all, stuck. It might be wise to climb up a little higher to a higher ledge to see the backdrop of the passage in 1 Samuel 17. The drama is set in the context of seeing beyond what you actually see and catching a God perspective in how things unfold. The thought is captured in the previous chapter when Samuel is looking for a king to replace King Saul. And the Lord directs Samuel to talk to the sons of Jesse. Because here Samuel, the Lord says to Samuel, you'll find the next king. And you may remember the parade of, was it seven or eight sons that come before Samuel and none of them get the green light from God. 1 Samuel 16, 7 is where you find the direction of God. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge his appearance or height. That's the first son. For I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. But the Lord looks at the heart. Now, we all, we all know that we look at the face of a person. We look at the appearance of a person, and that influences us. That influences us as to who we put into a leadership role, for example. We're going to do that on Tuesday at the provincial election. Like the sons of Jesse, the candidates are all lined up. And, and we have to make a choice on whom we will place the mantle of leadership. And we do most of our judging on the basis of externals. But what we're all trying to see, if we can, we're trying to see the heart. We're looking for the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. He's not interested in how tall we are. He's not look, looking at how attractive we are. He's looking at the heart. So the mantle fell on David instead of the other siblings because the Lord saw the heart of this young man. And God was preparing David out in the, out in the pasture 
as he was alone and as he was taking care of the sheep. There was something about David's heart that qualified him for where God was going to take him. Where does God have you these days in the preparation process? (laughs) You might feel like you're out in the pasture too. Maybe out in left field. I hope uh, if you're out in left field that you will still understand that it's not a bad place to be if God's working on your heart. If God's working on your heart. If somehow you feel a bit isolated these days, as long as God's working on your heart and you're listening to his voice. You know, and sometimes we don't even realize that God has us out in the pasture that God has our lives on hold, and maybe the dreams that we have for our lives don't get fulfilled instantly. God gives you the dream on one day, but he doesn't necessarily fulfill it the next day. Have you noticed that? God is never in a hurry. We say, hurry up, God. He's never in a hurry. Sometimes you feel stuck because you you feel held back from moving ahead. Maybe it's like David. It's, It's your age. People say, you're too young. Maybe it's your gender or your ethnic background or your credentials or your personal presentation or your education. Discrimination in any form is a barrier that we have to break through. There will be people who want to hold you back. David didn't instantly become king after he was anointed for the role by Samuel. It took a process. One day, David's father, Jesse, sent him on a little assignment to take some food to his three brothers who were fighting in the Israeli army against the Philistines. They were somewhere between Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, a mountain range, or we'd call it the hill range, uh, that's somewhere midpoint running north and south, running with the length of the nation. And, And Goliath is the Philistine champion, and he's an imposing figure if you ever saw one, standing over nine feet tall. Oh, goodness. In the right corner, wearing far more than just red trunks. He is Goliath from Gath. Did you watch the fight last night? I, I didn't. I heard about it. but I didn't. He is huge. And did you get a load of his equipment? Bronze coat of mail weighing 125 pounds. The tip of his spear is 15 pounds. And actually he has an armor bearer that walks ahead of him carrying a shield big enough to protect the giant. You know what I thought when I read this? Not much credit is given to the armor bearer. I mean, how would you like to be the first one to meet the enemy? You have to know that you're the first one to go down before they get to the giant. And why did a guy nine feet tall ever need an armor bearer? So if anybody gets my vote in the story, it's the armor bearer. Now, Goliath from Gath was a shouter. He shouted every morning for 40 mornings. This huge giant just bellowed across the canyon every day, his voice. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, you'll be our slaves. I defy the armies of the living God today. That was 40 days. 
That wrecked the, the day for King Saul and his whole, whole army. It wrecked every day. They heard this for 40 days, and every day they shook in their boots at the thought of anyone fighting Goliath. You know what is very true to, to life? Uh, that, that you have giants in your pathway, and they don't just shout at you once a year or once in a lifetime. They come at you morning and evening, day after day, relentlessly coming to intimidate and to knock us off our game. Now, you could probably secretly name that giant in your life right now. If no one was listening, you would say, that's what it is. It's a person. It's a pressure. It's work. It's worry. It's a particular fear. It's a feeling of being overwhelmed constantly. It's a relationship. It's a family member. It's a boss. It's a team member. It's knowing sometimes that you're called of God and yet you're afraid. You're afraid. God's asking you to do something in your life and it seems overwhelming. It's a giant. And that giant yells in your ear relentlessly to the point where you feel paralyzed. Yes, you you feel stuck with this intimidating shout in your ear. And this shout often causes people to curl up in a fetal position and say, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. David had no idea that this particular morning his life would be impacted forever. He went to deliver all the cheeseburgers to his brothers. But in the process, he heard the shout of the giant. And honestly, it surprised him that everyone was so intimidated by the shout of the giant. It was his first time to hear the shout. Really, it made David mad. It made him say in his heart, who does this big bully think he is? He can't talk about that way, God that way. He can't talk about our nation that way. He can't talk about us that way. We're God's people. <laughs> you know, I, I guess you can never predict today. You can never predict. They all look pretty ordinary until one day you find yourself in the middle of something you didn't ask for. And for David... It changed the trajectory of his life. We'll see that in a moment. I guess I'm impressed with how sensitive David is to God and and how right he got it the first time around. I mean, God doesn't look at the externals. He looks at the heart. And that's what made David such a great leader. Often, in hindsight, we look back. You know, I've done this so often. Man, if I could only have a do-over on that. If I could only do that, I, I should have stood my ground here. Or if I had just walked away and left it alone. It wasn't a hill to die on. But when things come at us so quickly, it's hard to process it and get it right. And we can have our regrets. Don't you agree? We can have our regrets. Don't you wish you had some do-overs? David got it right. He was in tune with his God and in his integrity and his heart for God. He couldn't imagine not getting riled up when someone speaks against God and his people. And I just love 
David's question to the soldier standing nearby. Who is this pagan Philistine, anyhow, that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Such an innocent question. What's going on here? And David discovers that King Saul had offered a reward for anyone who would take Goliath out. Uh, We don't have time to really go over that, but three things. He'd get a huge reward. He'd get money. If he could take anybody that could take Goliath out, he'd get a lot of money. Secondly, he'd get his daughter, the king's daughter, King Saul's daughter, in marriage. Turned out to be Michal. And I'm not sure how much of a gift that really would have been. I mean, given all of her idiosyncrasies, as we read later. And, and third thing, that you wouldn't have to pay any taxes for the rest of your life. Now, that sounds like a political platform, doesn't it? That we won't go there. David was not motivated by the extrinsic. He felt deeply about this whole thing. A deep, intrinsic motivation to somehow respond. But even when you have the best motivation, you can be criticized. Even when you have the best motivation, you can be criticized. His brother said, What are you doing around here anyway? What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? Notice the sarcasm? Those few sheep? You probably had quite a bunch of sheep. But those few sheep? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. And this next line is priceless. Because I I just hear it in so many other conversations. Maybe you do too. What have I done now? What have I done now, David replies. I was only asking a question. You ever hear that in your home? What have I done now? And then instead of getting into a fight with his brothers, he just walked away. There are times that, that when that's the best thing to do. Just walk away and, and, and leave it alone. But he, he walked away and he asked the same question to another group of soldiers, all of which finally caught the attention of King Saul. Now, maybe we should just stop here and, and say, you have to know when to fight. <laughs> you have to know when to fight. It's possible to be in skirmishes all life long. It's possible to be in skirmishes all day long. It's possible to be embroiled in issues in the family of God that completely distract us from what God wants us to do. Or embroiled in our own families. And in the process, we take our eye off the ball. We get distracted from kingdom goals. Just this week, I read the statement from Andy Stanley. Visions thrive in an environment of unity. They die in an environment of division. I thought, how true. Visions thrive in an environment of unity, and they die in an environment of division. We value enormously the unity that God has given to TCC. We never take it for granted. It's a wonderful gift. 
It's worthy of all of our effort to keep the unity that God has given us. It's worthy of all our effort because visions thrive in that environment. So stuck, a nation stuck, a servant stuck, uh, David in a place of delay. He has the anointing, but he doesn't have the role. And then one morning, things begin to change. Stuck with the giants hollering at us day and night and feeling so intimidated. So secondly, uh, unstuck, unstuck. Verse 32 is David's way of saying, Hey, I know we're stuck, but we don't have to be stuck anymore. David says, Don't worry about the Philistine. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. And Saul said, You can't do that. You're just a kid. Do you know who that is? That's Goliath. He's been a man of war since his youth. And then David rehearses how God has been at work in his life through the years. Even though he's still a young guy, he's just he's telling the story of how God's been at work in his life. I like how Kenneth Chafin reflects on this. The clue to David's confidence was shown in his interpretation of those battles when applied to the one he was about to enter. Translated, David used the experiences of his past to leverage his faith for the future. He interpreted God's provision and safety for him as a shepherd and how he could trust God for the situation that was yet in front of him. David said, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. And when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. And if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Wow. That's the first thing you do to face the giants and fulfill your dreams. You remember, you remember how God has helped you in the past. You know, being a part of this church for the last 12 years, I have to say it's been such an awesome experience. Uh, the first years of ministry were wonderful. They were really wonderful. But then to come to the last 12 years, these last 12 years, you don't really think they can match the first years, but it's wonderful when they get even better. They get even better. And to serve with fantastic people these years is absolutely amazing. And often when I face the future and experience some huge barrier, it just helps so much to look back and see what God has done, how faithful He is, and it brings confidence because God never changes. And if He helped you in the past... He will help you in the future in even bigger ways. You know what? Saul gave his blessing for David to go into the battle against Goliath. Actually, as I read that again this week, I don't know what to think about that. I don't know what to think about that. He gave his blessing for David to go into the battle. No one else was willing to go. So Saul finally consented. I mean, really, it's this way. All right, go ahead. 
All right, go ahead. And may the, may the Lord be with you. I'll say that as tritely as possible because that's how I think it is. And Lord be with you. Something doesn't quite sit right with Saul giving permission for David to go. Obviously, it's a sign that the king is desperate. He'll take any solution about now. And he's not willing to go. He's not willing to go. But if the kid's willing to go, okay. And all I can say is only God, only God. When we're desperate, God comes and he brings a David. And sometimes you just need a fresh voice. You need a kid from a village with fresh eyes. You need someone to say, hey, God's our leader. You can take this guy down. We can meet the challenge of this situation because God is with us. And isn't it wonderful that God raises those people up? The Davids. And there are lots of them here. And they're in every season of life for which I'm grateful. And I'm particularly grateful for the ones that are coming up. There are Davids among us. And in our homes, their spirits will be nourished. And they will do mighty things for us, for God. You know what? We face all kinds of difficult situations in life. And isn't it refreshing when you can be the David and, and bring your perspective of faith and trust in God? It blesses my heart when I see people stepping out, moving forward. I hope we at TCC will take the experiences of our past and let them propel us forward. It's important to not stop and rest on our laurels and say, isn't it wonderful where God has brought us? Because it is. But God's just getting us primed and prepared for what he wants to do. God is just getting us prepared and primed for what he wants to do. Just imagine how God wants to use TCC in the southwest of the city. Saul wants to suit David up in his armor. And you know the story. He, he put it on, tried to walk. It's just awful. Saul is a size 52. David is a 34. And man, it's bad. This is not going to work. And David knew it right away. I can't go in these. I'm not used to them. I've never tested these before. And isn't it a wonderful reminder that God has made you uniquely? That you don't have to put on someone else's armor that doesn't fit. Just be you. Have confidence in your own gifts and experiences and abilities as you face the giants in your life. Don't try to do battle with somebody else's armor. God has given you a certain personality, a certain gifting, and a certain set of background experiences which uniquely positions you for what he wants you to do. So seize it and embrace it. Thank God for what he's done in your life. Oh, sure, get some more education. Oh, yes, get some more training. That's all important. But it's what God is doing in your life. David got comfortable 
back in his own clothes. And off he went to meet the giant Goliath. And he took his trusty sling and he picked up five smooth stones and he put them in the shepherd's bag. And you know, we might say, well, all David had was a sling. But friends, don't mistake this for a slingshot, like sometimes a child plays with. Or maybe you've given your teenager a slingshot. No, no. This was a sling. This was a sling. And David was a, an experienced slinger. And he was incredibly accurate. He could take down a bird in flight. He was so good at it. So make no mistake, David has a weapon that is entirely capable of taking out Goliath. He's a professional in his own right. Oh, David's not going to do hand-to-hand combat with Goliath. He's no dummy. He's going to use the weapon he's used to. And he's deadly accurate with it. So there's quite a bit of verbal jostling that happens between Goliath and David. More verbiage than actual fighting because the battle didn't last very long. Am I a dog, says Goliath, that you send out a boy? Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And David says, you come with all of your military proudness and and protection. But I come in the name of the Lord of Heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Heaven, whom you have defied. Take your last breath, Goliath, because you're done. Everybody's going to know that the Lord rescues His people, and this is the Lord's battle. And we all know that David had to have faith and trust. He had to trust God for what he was about to do. He had some skills, but he needed God. He had some skills, but he needed God. And the Lord will give you skills, and the Lord will give you education, and the Lord will give you professionalism, and the Lord will give you a background, and it's wonderful because it's yours. But in the end, you need God. The battle belongs to the Lord. What are you expecting God to do in your life? The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. I don't have to be the smartest person in the world. I don't have to be the wealthiest person in the world. I don't have to be the most educated person in the world. I have the choice to trust God. And if we walk in the power of God, He can use us far beyond our imagination. I was just a little boy when I met my uncle who had served in the Second World War. And I was so young that I didn't know anything about the World War that was fought. And so I heard this conversation between my uncle who had served in Italy and Sicily and come back home and he was a prisoner of war for a period of time. I heard him telling his story to my father. And because I didn't get the context and I didn't have the main point, all I could say was like, well, who won? They're talking about the details, but I don't know the story. And I'm saying, who won? Who won the war? And As much as I recall, he just gave me a little smile. Like, one day, you will know. You don't get it right now. 
You don't understand the, the cost that was paid. But one day you'll know. And as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. And reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and he hit the Philistine in the forehead. And the stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. David the kid reaches into his bag, takes out one of those rocks, he puts it in his sling and he whirls it around and the rock goes forward and hits the giant between the eyes and the giant falls over. And just like that it was over. I mean, obviously Goliath was so confident that he didn't even put his headpiece down. And zing! One rock and the lights went out. And David runs up to him and looks at him, sees that he's unconscious, says, can I borrow your sword? off his head goes and the Philistines were routed and Israel wins the day let me just wrap this up by saying this we all face some kind of giant in life even if we don't use the term and they often intimidate us and doing battle with a giant can be lonely no one else can fight your Goliath And what a giant is to somebody is a minor thing to somebody else. And what is minor to you may be pretty major to somebody else. But they're giants. And the best way to fight a giant is by an all-out committed relationship with God. So many people are trying to fight the giants without God. Oh, what a battle. Allow God to embrace you. Allow the Holy Spirit to fill you so that you can fight the giants in your life. Fighting without the power of God is very stressful. And when you win a victory, even if it's small, it helps you take another step to win another battle. I've never really thought about the Goliath that Jesus had to face. But of course he did. He faced so many giants in the land when he came to redeem us. And he faced the giant of the religious authorities who didn't like his message. And he faced the giant of sin that saddles every one of us. And he took it on. So he came to earth to face the giants. And eventually it led him to the cross. And what seemed like a a defeat for Jesus actually was a victory because he rose again. The giant of sin and the grave could not hold him down. He was victorious. And he slew the power of death. And he validated who he claimed to be, the Son of God. And his death and resurrection brought forgiveness and peace. So we gather around the table of the Lord this morning and we celebrate the Son of God the son of David, the son of David, Jesus the Christ. And Jesus reminded us to never forget the battle at Calvary where Jesus defeated the giant of sin. And he invites us again this morning to remember the suffering, to remember the sacrifice and the cost, and to give thanks for his willingness to go out in front of us and take it all on our behalf. 
And so, friends, as you take the bread this morning, it represents the broken body of our suffering Savior. And the cup represents the blood that was poured out of his wounds on our behalf. And, and this is what he did for us. And at the table this morning, let's just slow down and reflect and celebrate that his love and his grace has reached us. And Jesus has gone before us. So if you're here this morning, you're not sure what all of this means. You've not yet come to a place of opening your heart to say, Lord, you have my life. Then just please be comfortable to allow the elements to pass by. We'd want you to do that.